This is the West Point Sermon Podcast. Thank you for joining us online this week. If you'd like to give or support West Point Church in any way, you can visit westpoint.org slash give. We hope you enjoy today's message and have a great rest of your week. It's been a couple of weeks now since I've had the opportunity to, to preach. Excited to get back into the book of Acts and um, so blessed to have Jim a couple of weeks ago and Josh last week to, to share and continue in this series. Uh, but I am ready this morning to dive back in to Acts. And if you have a Bible this morning, you want to turn there to Acts 19. That's where we're going to be hanging out today. And we'll, we'll kind of take this and, and walk through it together. We'll read a portion of it. We'll talk about that for a little bit and um, just keep going. And, and you know, this, this passage of Scripture, as I was studying it this week, there are so many interesting little details in there. You could, you could actually get kind of lost in that. So I'm hoping to not get totally distracted by, by all the historical stuff there and all the interesting details, but to really land on a few things that we can take and we can say, yeah, that, that applies to my life. I can use that. And, and so that's my hope today. We'll talk about that a little bit as we wrap things up here this morning. But uh, starting in verse 1, we're going to just read these first few verses together. Acts 19, verse 1. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. And there he found some disciples, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. That's a problem, right? And he said, into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Don't you love it when it just works that simply, right? And then when Paul laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying, and there were about 12 men in all. So just, uh, we're going to stop there. I just want to give you a little bit of context as, as we're talking about this story and what happened here. Um, at the, in the first verse, it mentions this guy named Apollos, and if you go back to chapter 18, you can read a little bit about Apollos. It, Bible tells us that he was uh, just a, a gifted communicator. He was uh, eloquent is the, the word that the, the Bible uses. So he had just an, an incredible ability to, to preach and teach in a way that was compelling and convincing. And, you know, I think of so many people um, that, that I've listened to and, and people uh, throughout the, the course of history that um, present the same gospel that, that all of us preachers are trying to teach. It's the same message. It's the same basic ideas. You can say the same word but some people just have an incredible gift for saying it a certain way that it just, it just cuts right to your heart. Uh, I have a, a couple of books that I was looking through this week of two great preachers and some of the sermons that they wrote. And one of them uh, was Jonathan Edwards. And he was a famous preacher from even like pre-American Revolution days in the, in the 1700s, he was preaching here in the United States, and there was a great revival that was happening, and, and people were coming to repentance through his preaching. And uh, another one is Charles Spurgeon, and I'm looking through some of his 
sermons from from years ago, and you just read them, and it's like, wow, that's just, just, he just had an incredible way of teaching the Word of God. And there have been people throughout history that have taught that way. There are people today, uh, and and what's incredible about our world today, because of the internet, like we have access uh, to all of these amazing preachers and teachers and so if, if you don't like the way that I do it, you can just go on the internet and find somebody that you do like. Like the, That's the incredible thing today. There are so many people in, in there that are using those gifts for the glory of God. And Apollos was one of those guys. He just had this amazing ability to teach the Word of God. Uh, but he had some holes in his theology. And uh, we'll talk about what those things were, but, but one of the things that I want us to understand is that just because you don't have everything all together and figured out and you know every detail about Scripture and you have your theology perfectly in order, um, most of us aren't there yet, myself included, okay? And we're still building those things and we're still learning and growing. And you know what? God can use you in the process of growing. What Apollos did here is he planted a seed that would eventually be watered by the Apostle Paul, that these men that he reached would have the opportunity to grow even deeper in their faith. But it started because Apollos was faithful with the thing that he had. He didn't even know what the Holy Spirit was. If you go back to chapter 18, it'll say that he was... He had learned, he'd been discipled in John's baptism. He was teaching about Jesus, but he did not fully understand what it meant to be a believer yet. He was still learning. He didn't even know who the Holy Spirit was. But yet God was using him in a powerful way because he was faithful with what he had. You know, I think one of the biggest mistakes we make in the church today is when we tell people that, hey, you just need to, um, you need to grow in your faith and be mature and, and learn for a couple of years before you jump into any ministry. That is not a biblical concept. Can I tell you something? If the early church would have done that, they, would have, they wouldn't have had anybody doing anything because everybody was brand new, right? You do not have to be a Christian for 30 years to share your faith, to teach the Word of God, to disciple people, to mentor people, to, to point them to Christ. That is something that God has put inside you when He gave you His Holy Spirit. He gave you the ability to do that. And you are going to make mistakes. There's your encouragement for the morning, right? Like, like it's not always going to be easy. It's not going to go perfectly. For Apollos, he was missing a pretty big thing with the Holy Spirit. But God used him in that circumstance to set Paul up so that he could come in and teach them about what they needed to know. So he says, hey, well, in addition to John's baptism, which is a baptism of repentance, right? John was calling people to repent of your sin, but then more than that, to place your faith in Jesus Christ. And so then they were baptized in the name of Jesus. And he said, but we don't want to leave you there because Jesus left this earth so that he could send his Holy Spirit to come and live inside you and fill you and be with you. (laughs) And so then they were he laid his hands on them and prayed for them. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to prophesy. They began to speak in tongues. Um, now, Paul is, is in the middle of this travel, and he's, he's stopping in Ephesus. He had just uh, come from Jerusalem, and, and uh, he was in Ephesus at that time. And, and what we found is that th- there's already some Christians that are here, right? These people that Apollos has been sharing with. The reason... That had happened a few weeks ago. We talked about how persecution had begun to push the church 
out to fulfill the Great Commission, right? Uh, I don't know that, that it necessarily would have happened if the early church hadn't been persecuted in Jerusalem. Because who wants to leave something that's good and exciting, right? But when the, the religious leaders start arresting people and stoning people like Stephen, that's like, hey, you know what? Maybe we can, we can take this Jesus thing and take it on the road and, and go to some place where they're not going to try to kill us. And, and, and to this point, the Roman government was not persecuting the church yet. Uh, all the persecution was coming from the religious leaders within Jerusalem. So these key leaders in the church began to move out of that city and into Judea and into Samaria and into foreign countries. And so Ephesus, which uh, would be in, in modern day, uh, kind of in that uh, Mediterranean region there, uh, Greece and Turkey, um, as, as part of, of what that is now, uh, he, he was spending time in this region. He was there, and he was going on this journey, and he was discovering that, that the work had already begun, even before he arrived. And he found these 12 believers, and he started teaching them, and he started um, showing them more about, uh, about what it means to be a follower of Christ. And you know what's cool? If you go back to chapter 18 and you read about Apollos, uh, he met this incredible couple, Priscilla and Aquila, and they mentored him and taught him uh, about the Holy Spirit as well. So even though when he was ministering in Ephesus, he didn't even know that yet, God didn't stop with him either. They, he brought him along to the point where, where um, he gave him exactly what he needed. Continue to study and grow. Continue to walk with God in your faith. But don't be discouraged that because you don't have everything all together, you don't have all your ducks in a row that you think that God can't use you. And the more that you grow in your relationship with God, um, the more that you see how incredible he is. Does anybody have a story like that, that, that you began your journey with Christ and uh, you had no idea what you were getting into, <laughs> right? We begin and it's like we make a commitment, but we don't know necessarily what it means to follow Christ. And the more that you serve him and the more that you grow and the more that you understand what it means to be a follower of Christ, the more you see this is a life-altering experience. Let's keep reading in verse 8. It says, And he entered the synagogue for three months and spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil in the way, uh, of the way before the congregation, he withdrew and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. And this continued for two years, so that the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, uh, both Jews and Greeks. So I was reading in one of the commentaries uh, on this passage, and it said that uh, this in Ephesus, where he was preaching in the synagogue, this is something that he would do everywhere that he stopped. And when he was early on in his missionary journey, the places like Galatia, that, that he would stop and teach in the synagogues, he usually only got a, a couple of days or a couple of weeks. Like this was, this was actually a record for him to get kicked out of the synagogue a couple of months into his ministry. So apparently they were a little more patient here. But I, I want us to understand something like, 
This was Paul preaching a Christian message in a Jewish synagogue, in a Jewish house of worship. Imagine if, if somebody came into our church today and tried preaching uh, a Muslim message or, or uh, another religion. Like, we would not tolerate that, right? So that, that's, that's a pretty bold move by Paul. He walks in and he starts preaching a message that's contrary to what these people are believing. And some people respond to that message. Others become angry. Uh, that's kind of the way that faith works sometimes. We share the message that God has given us. We share what's in our heart. Sometimes it falls on fertile soil. Other times, it doesn't. Uh, you can imagine the, the challenge for Paul being a Jew and, and having a heart for the Jewish people and seeing his people reject the hope that is Christ. So he spoke in the synagogue until they kicked him out. And then there's some historical evidence in addition to what we have in the Bible that uh, showed that Paul confirmed that Paul had this appointment in the hall of Tyrannus and that from 11 to 4 every day he had a standing appointment in this like public hall. And so he would go there and, and probably Tyrannus, the, the owner of this hall, would, would do his teaching early in the morning and Paul would at, use that time to do his tent making. And so he would go, and that was what his trade was. He would make tents during the day until 11 o'clock. And then at 11 o'clock, he'd go and he'd preach and teach and disciple people for five hours. All right, now, I don't want to ever hear about uh, uh, um, Sunday morning service being too long ever again, okay? Paul did this every day for five hours. Man, I, I'm telling you, that is commitment. And he did this ministry for two years. Two years of teaching the simple message of Jesus. Like He wasn't doing a chapter-by-chapter -chapter study of the book of Luke or the book of Acts because those hadn't been written yet. He had one message to preach, and that was Jesus Christ. And he did that for two years teaching and discipling people and, and pouring his heart into them and planting this church. It was out of that work that we eventually got to experience an incredible letter that he wrote to that church in the book of Ephesians and, and the unbelievable um, instructions that he gives us in that book. So he's building this church. He's shaping this, this ministry. He's, he's teaching these people Verse 11 tells us, uh, And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even the handkerchiefs or aprons that touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Think about that for a second. All right, now first of all, uh, when it says handkerchiefs and aprons, um, what in all likelihood, what, what most biblical scholars think they're talking about here is Paul worked with his hands for a living. He made tents for a living. So he would work outside. There was no air conditioning. It was hot. It was sweaty. It was a warm Mediterranean climate. And so by handkerchiefs, they're probably referring to what um, these blue collar workers would wear as basically a, a sweatband on their forehead. They would take 
cloth, like a bandana, and wrap it around their head so that it would catch the sweat and keep it out of their eyes. And then they would wear aprons as kind of like a, a, a tool belt. They would have pockets in there that they, they would have their tools in. And so like, they would take Paul's work clothes from when he was working in the morning, building tents, covered in sweat, and they would, they would uh, take those to sick people and put that on them. I mean, that's disgusting, right? Like somebody's nasty, sweaty headband that they've been working in all day, and they're laying it on sick people. And here's the crazy part. It worked. <laughs> it worked. You know, it's, it's incredible what God does when his people walk in faith. I don't think there's a formula there. I don't think that, that um, we should send our masks after Sunday morning church to somebody so that they can put it on their face and be healed. That's probably just bad hygiene, right? That's not the point of what Paul was saying here, that, that we're following this formula. But when you're operating in faith, God can do incredible things. Let's keep reading um, the rest of this story. Uh, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some itinerant Jew, Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. And seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize him too, but who are you? Right? And the man in whom was, was the evil spirit leapt on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. This is an interesting story, Right? And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. And fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. And many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts also brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found out it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. And so that, so the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. So there's a traveling family of Jewish exorcists. All right, does that create any strange pictures in your mind for anybody else here? Um, you know, the, the first church that I, I served uh, as a pastor at, our, our pastor loved like kind of old-time gospel music and so we would have um, these different music groups come on a Sunday morning and they would do a concert in the morning and I remember one time there was a, a family that came out and I mean they had a bunch of kids I don't remember if it was seven or not but it, it had to be close to that and they all had matching outfits and they sang and they had beautiful voices but I, they, it was just this family singing group. And so I'm, I'm picturing that in my head, except instead of singing, they're casting out demons as a family. It's their family business. 
Uh, apparently, they're not super good at it, though, because <laughs> they are addressing this demon-possessed man, and they call this demon out in the name of Jesus. And the demon responds to them, and he says, yeah, Jesus, yeah, I know who that is. And, and they mentioned Paul, too, and they're like, yeah, Paul, I, I'm familiar with him as well. But who are you, bro? Like, who are you? And then he, he attacked all eight of them, beat them up, and chased them out naked. Now that uh, was, was quite the scene, I'm sure. You know, this is a, a crazy story, but I want to ask two questions this morning. First one is, do you know Jesus, or do you just know how to play Jesus? It, it was pretty clear from this story that the sons of Sceva understood how the game worked. They knew the words that they were supposed to say. They probably saw Paul in his ministry casting out demons, and they're like, hey, we can do this. We know what to do. We can follow the formula. We know the right things to say. You know, it's, it's my experience as a pastor that there are a lot of people that come to church and they learn the language and they learn the right things to say and they know how to go through the motions, but it never translates from here to here. God wants to have relationship with us. That's why he sent his son, Jesus. It's not so that we can know about him. He could have just sent an information manual if that's all we needed. But he sent his son so that we could know him personally and have relationship with him. And so the difference between Paul and Sceva and his sons were that Paul knew Jesus. And he spoke in authority because of that relationship. The second question is, does hell know who you are? Right? The demon responded, I know who Paul is, and I know who Jesus is, but who are you? If we're walking in the authority that God has given to each one of us, can I tell you something? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you placed your faith in him, then he has given you all authority. Are we walking in that authority to the point where hell knows our name? Where when we speak out of the authority, out of the power that, that Jesus has given to us, there's a recognition that we speak out of the authority of the relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. Let's be confident in who we are, understanding that, that he's given us exactly what we need. You know, as, as we close today, I, I want to notice something here. The, I, I look at this and I'm like, man, that would happen at our church. That would be so detrimental. Like, 
these people who are traveling, like they, they show up and, and they're walking in false authority and it's a disaster and, and people see that and they're like, Christians are hypocrites, right? I mean, that's often a response that you hear all the time today. Christians are hypocrites. They don't practice what they preach. But that's not what happened in this instance. They recognized that there was a difference between the genuine faith that Paul expressed and the surface-level fake faith that these traveling exorcists displayed. And as a result, the church did not suffer from this incident, but rather people saw the reality of what the true power of Jesus Christ can do. They saw that it wasn't just a show, that it wasn't just a game, that this was the real thing. And it caused people to repent, and it caused people to stop playing around. You know, they, they, it says at the end of this passage that they all got their witchcraft books and brought them and burned them publicly for everyone to see. And that it was 50,000 uh, silver coins worth of books. Um, I did some research as to what that would equate to today. It's about $5 million worth of materials that were burned that day. Now, that's pretty significant, right? I mean, that's a good chunk of Amazon books, okay? <laughs> like, this is a big deal because they saw what the power of Christ could do in its transforming power to change lives.